Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. War rages on in Ukraine. Russia continues to assault Ukrainian lines in the eastern Donbass region. But with Western tanks being supplied to the Ukrainians, military observers expect a counteroffensive. The first wave of tanks promised by Ukraine's Western allies have started to arrive. Ukraine's defense minister thanked the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany and Portugal for the new equipment. Meanwhile, politically, Russia has reached out to China. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin have declared a new era of friendship. China's leader, Xi Jinping, is continuing his high-profile state visit to Russia, where he's been warmly greeted as an old friend by President Putin. But some commentators believe it's not an equal one, and that China is the real winner here. Last week, Russia held joint naval exercises with China and Iran. The resigns, the Kremlin is looking to forge an anti-Western alliance. But experience shows China always puts China first. Dr. Alexander Titov is a history lecturer. He joins me on the line to discuss the latest developments. Dr. Titov is from St. Petersburg and has been at Queen's University Belfast for 10 years. Russia and China seem to have deepened their ties over the last number of weeks since the Chinese president's visit. Do you think this has strengthened Russia's hand in international politics or ultimately made it the weaker partner going forward? Um, well, I think, uh, first of all, Russia doesn't really have um, <clears throat> many other options. So uh, the Chinese help is absolutely crucial for it now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, whether it's strength Russia or not, if there was no China, Russia probably wouldn't be able to uh, go on as it does now. So thanks for China, it is able to conduct what it sees as its priority uh, to continue the war in Ukraine. And um, in terms of uh, relations with China and, um, you know, Russia's strength and so forth, I mean, that's a larger question. Uh, and it's also so, so certainly goes back well beyond just the last uh, week, uh, last few weeks. You know, there are some kind of structural uh, elements, issues, both for China and for Russia, which um, kind of structure their, relation, um, their relationship uh, to what it is becoming now, ever, ever, ever closer partnership, I would call it. If we can turn to the war, I, I know um, it's we're turning to it rather early in the interview, I suppose, but that's ultimately, as you say, Russia's new relationship um, with China is has to be seen in the context of, of the conflict 
with President Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. They have declared, as we say, a new era of friendship. Vladimir Putin has said that Russia's war aims are a state secret. What do you believe Russia's war aims ultimately are at this point? Not sure. I actually think him saying it's a state secret as such, but uh, they've certainly been very vague about what the uh, the, um, the aims are. Uh, the initial aims, official aims, is uh, denafification and demilitarization of Ukraine. In practical implications, with this kind of uh, you know ideological slogans, you know, if you can break them down to essentially is. Uh, uh, denazification of Ukraine is making uh, Ukraine uh, a friendly country to Russia. I think uh, there is a view in the Kremlin that the uh, authorities of the powers that's been in, in Kiev since uh, 2014, when there was a, a revolution, Maidan revolution, uh, have been increasingly cost out Russia and in its interests. They identify themselves with um, uh, Ukrainian nationalism, which within Russian parlance becomes uh, kind of akin to uh, outright uh, Nazism and so forth. Uh, and then the other thing what they want to do is demilitarize Ukraine, meaning that it's not posing any uh, threat to Russia. Uh, and that obviously comes in the context of frozen or semi-frozen conflict as it was in, in Donbass, uh, as well as Crimea, of course, because now there is a ter- territorial dispute between Russia and Ukraine. It doesn't want Ukraine to be able, capacity to, you know, threaten Crimea. Certainly that was the plan. It uh, backfired spectacularly because now Ukraine is talking about, you know, invading uh, Crimea as soon as it can, possibly can, within weeks, within months. A Biden administration official recently telling members of Congress uh, that Ukraine does indeed have the military capability to recapture Crimea. That is according to two U.S. officials familiar with the matter. That's right. So they have the capability. They have the equipment, as you said, that they would potentially need for this kind of of an offensive. There are some in the Biden administration who we spoke with. They're worried that if, in fact, Vladimir Putin felt that his hold on Crimea was really threatened, that that could be the backing in the corner that we've heard about for months. If I understand now, Anami, you are originally from St. Petersburg, if if I'm correct? That's right, yes. Mm -hmm. So I would like to take the opportunity, if I can, to take advantage of, to ask you about attitudes in Russia, because I think we do hear, especially in the West, we hear an awful lot about what Ukrainian people think the Western media has access to Ukraine in a way that we don't really to to Russia. In terms of the the, the Russian people's attitude and understanding of Ukraine, the the former president of of Russia, Dmitry Medvedev, has said that ultimately he believes that Ukraine is simply a part of Russia and always was a part of Russia. Is that the is that the is that the opinion or the feeling of most Russians? Um, well, I think it's a it's it's a very good question, and uh, you need to um, kind of there's also lots of qualifiers uh, towards it. Uh, I think there is a universal or, or near universal, I would just say. I mean, there's always um, kind of a, you know, strong minority opposing to the view, but uh, overwhelming 
view in Russia that, for example, Crimea is part, should be part of Russia, right? And that's been reasonably consistent view since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Now, uh, with regards to the rest of Ukraine, uh, it becomes more complicated. Uh, uh, there's certainly not a, such a strong feeling towards other parts, uh, particularly for, for Donbass, as there is towards uh, towards Crimea. Again, for very various historical reasons. So I think that it would be uh, would depend a lot on um, you know specific persons, specific uh, people. But broadly speaking, I would say that the uh, kind of whole idea of Ukraine in in its main part, particularly Eastern Ukraine, where overwhelmingly it's a Russian speaking, <clears throat> at least it used to be historically. Um, and Southern Ukraine, uh, places like Odessa, Kharkiv and so forth, uh, Donbass even more so. That, there is kind of a recognition in, um, I mean, I wouldn't want to say kind of it's, it's universal as it is with Crimea, but that, it's, that sh- it should be within somehow Russian um, kind of sphere and so forth. I think the further way, you know, Ukraine is a complex country, of course, and then, you know, Russian popular attitudes, I think, recognize that, you know, the further west you go, uh, the less, you know, Russian it becomes, so to say, in, in, in popular opinion. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of Ukraine, all of it being, have to be part of Russia is is probably in a kind of minority view. Uh, but, you know, if you look in specific parts, if you look at Crimea, then it becomes a majority. If you're looking at Donbass, given its recent history, this could be much more support for kind of inclusion of this, of, of Donbass uh, <clears throat> area. Uh, further on, uh, I think there will be less and less and less uh, to becoming kind of um, a, a very, very marginal view indeed, you know, if you talk about Western Ukraine, Kiev and so forth. So, yeah, it's a complex a complex situation. Um, don't think you can give one answer to <clears throat> to all of it. But, um, yeah, there, there is, a, I, would, I would just say that it's, there is a special attitude towards Ukraine in, in Russia for historical reasons. I would, it's, I mean, difficult to draw parallels. I mean, I would say kind of some kind of combination of uh, being kind of Scotland Island uh, for for the English, you know that's. Uh, it's a similar. It's a similar, but not overly. I, I, I suppose you, well, you might I mean, caution us going too far. It's there are some parallels in a sense that um, they kind of seri- they have difficulty in in, in um, processing Russians that Ukrainians are you know are really really different. You know that you know that's it's 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 there is a problem with that in a sense. Yeah, I mean there's no question about it, uh, and the fact that it's been kind of part of the same state for quite a long time since um, say uh, I don't know 17th century with the unification in 1654 and so forth. Uh, they try to emphasize all the uh, kind of aspects which is kind of beneficial to Russia, right? So the unification in, in 1654, but you know there's a long history of rebellions and of uh, um, you know, uh, different identities and so forth, which uh, they tend to kind of swipe aside as a kind of foreign interference and so forth. So yeah, I would say it's 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 a you know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a complex relationship, but it's not kind of one dimensional. I would say that it's uh, like Medvedev, uh, who has become extremely radical in his pronouncements. Um, you know, since he, you know, lost his power as president and then as prime minister, you know, he's kind of trying to find against his kind of voice by being, you know, <laughs> or putting out all these outrageous um, um, comments on the, uh, in social media so that he's quoted again and so forth. But yeah, I mean, sort of, uh, apart from kind of all this, um, 
extreme views. There's, there is a kind of a broader thing. I think Putin himself, you know, if you want to look at that, his article in, uh, from uh, two years ago in 2021, which is kind of talking about Russian and Ukrainian being the same people and so forth. That's kind of a blueprint for the kind of current political leadership of how they think between Ukraine and uh, and Russia, all of this idea of, you know, um, common identity and so forth. I wanted to ask now about what is known in Russia, at least what we are told it's known as Russia, certainly the Russian government, the special military operation. Now, before the invasion, I noticed you had written, Dr. Titov, for the Belfast Telegraph, among other publications. You did seem to think, and of course, you were not alone in this, but you predicted a humiliation and quick military defeat for Ukraine. I think you mentioned a week are you surprised that hasn't happened? And are the Russian people surprised that hasn't happened? It was just um, kind of uh, going along with a kind of more or less established um, mainstream view. Broad assumption was in um, kind of military circles and kind of all the predictions that Kiev would fall within three days and so forth. In Western type of intelligence, you know, briefings and so forth. Reverses. Uh, Perhaps a uh, view is is more kind of established now that it could never possibly have succeeded, uh, given the the kind of uh, the over over ambitious aims and uh, um, kind of uh, lack of resources uh, to match those aims on the grounds and so forth. But uh, overall, yes, no, it's uh, it's um, uh, Ukraine been. Um, Came a long way since 2014. So 2014, when it had a you know major internal crisis with the Maidan revolution and the kind of ouster of the president Yunukovych, uh, the Russians were able to seize uh, Crimea in particular very easily um, because of uh, kind of general collapse of the state institutions and military and so forth. Uh, and likewise, we're able to inflict a series of defeated uh, in, in Donbass on, on Ukraine by um, late August, uh, early uh, September 2014, and then again in February 2015. Uh, the assumption was, but uh, the, I guess on the you know Putin's part that you know Ukraine hasn't changed. And now we know Ukraine changed a lot. It's been through you know two uh, two cycles of electoral cycles. You know it's, it's consolidated itself in terms of its uh, um, you know state institutions. Its army went through the um, the experience of uh, warfare in the eastern Donbas. Uh, it had a huge military help from um, uh, from the United States, from Britain, from Canada, and others among others uh, in terms of training, in terms of um, um, some supplies of weapons and so forth uh, and uh, but yes most importantly it's 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 kind of has a consolidated uh, kind of consensus around Ukrainian um, identity kind of well okay maybe not necessarily kind of uh, fully consolidated but certainly a majority consensus about about the state, about, about the about the nature well, of uh, you know or about not if not about the state of Ukraine but the I suppose the existence of Ukraine uh, well there, Yes, exactly. Status of Ukraine, it's kind of with broad kind of foreign policy orientation towards the European Union and NATO and also uh, kind of this um, uh, consensus about the need to, you know, proceed with further Ukrainization and um, and so forth and so forth, which both Poroshenko and uh, Zelensky, who was run as antithesis to Poroshenko, basically pursued. So there is a kind of this consensus of nation, nation, nation building on uh, Ukrainian identity, which, uh, you know, implies there should be kind of uh, limiting and downgrading of all the kind of uh, vestiges of Russian uh, cultural, uh, historical and other influences in Ukraine. Yeah. Now, I think one thing that almost everyone in the world would agree with regard to this conflict is that 
there are no real attempts underway to secure peace in Ukraine. We do seem to be looking at a more war, war going forward, perhaps for a considerable length of time. I mean, what's the Russian view of that? Yes. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, everybody was did not expect this to happen. You know, this was, uh, I think, you know, the society in Russia was kind of more um, kind of surprised by the whole how things suddenly turned into full scale war uh, than anybody else. Um, since then, so there was a kind of huge shock in the early early periods, uh, March in particular. Um, but I think things have settled in now. Uh, there was another big uh, big uh, upset in uh, in September when they uh, announced partial mobilization. Um, so that's when really brought, brought things home. The key, I mean, there's two, two things to that. I mean, first of all, is that certainly from my personal impression and kind of uh, and having been traveled to Russia since the start of the war, uh, is that for the vast majority of people, uh, life can continue as before. Essentially, they've not uh, been affected unless you live in the uh, border regions with Ukraine, which um, have um, uh, you know special um, emergency status, and then you know really border areas sometimes gets uh, kind of uh, shelling and so forth. If you live in the Russian heartland in large cities with where the majority population lives, that their life is pretty much the same as before. So uh, in that sense, uh, you can actually you know completely ignore it unless you want to follow the news on TV or on, on social media, you can actually kind of continue living your life as, as before. And I think most people are trying to just um, uh, do that. The issue, of course, the, the, this issue of kind of economic sanctions, the issue of military um, casualties, and uh, the issue of, yeah, kind of the, the, the future more broadly, you know, where, where it's all going. So, yeah, th- those things obviously will affect, um, you know, are affecting Russians. But, um, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's not so much as it's a uh, kind of, um, kind of been, been kind of uh, struck a blow that the complete, all the lives been completely upside down, uh, you know, turned upside down. It's it's been quite much more gradual approach. That's kind of one of the policy. That's why they want to call it a special military operation rather than the war because they want to keep it kind of contained uh, and uh, away from most of the people. But it's becoming increasingly more difficult, particularly since the mobilization that have uh, been announced. Uh, but even then, I think uh, that's sort of died down a bit. Um, so yeah, longer term, they, I think. I think they can, if nothing major happens, uh, they probably can go on like this for quite a long time. That's something which um, former Soviet citizens have uh, spoke to me about. They've told me, well, they believe that the Russian army can absorb many more casualties than the West would accept. Do you think that's perhaps a racial stereotype or is there some truth in that? Well, they already have absorbed more casualties. I mean, uh, uh, you know, all this varies, but, you know, it's, it's certainly talking about tens of thousands already, you know, killed. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, yes, in that sense, uh, it's true. The thing is, it's not just upsetting casualties, it's all, uh, you know, absorbing uh, the economic hits, the um, uh, kind of upset to their lives and so forth. But, yeah, it so kind of comes in a d- different, uh, in different environment. You know, we're coming out of COVID, you know, that was a huge disruption to people's life. You know, the, all, all the travel been uh, been uh, kind of banned. You know, now you, in Russians, kind of more, more largely 
not, not on maybe I'll try ban from Europe, but, you know, making very hard to travel to Europe, for example. But, you know, that's kind of similar to what COVID was happening. Uh, sanctions uh, as well uh, been going on for quite a while in Russia. There's been COVID hit and so forth. So it's all kind of series of unfortunate events, so to say, um, but which still kind of really haven't um, changed fundamentally the people's lives yet. The so far as the army is concerned, I mean, if you look at it, that the level of uh, number of people actually involved in the army, you know, they're keeping it around. Well, the you know, official figure was three hundred thousand people uh, being uh, called up on mobilization uh, out of uh, so official population is one hundred forty-six million. Uh, you know, if you kind of people of. Uh, 25 million men of uh, eligible for a call up, right? So they haven't, they haven't even called up even 1% yet. You know, you have uh, uh, quite quite a big number still to go. I mean, same as Ukraine. Well, Ukraine obviously has less people, uh, but, you know, both armies, it seems to me, they're able to uh, kind of field, maintain and, you know, arm uh, around half a million people each on each side, you know, give or take a few hundred thousand, I guess. You know, so we're not talking about, um, you know, World War Two or World War One. you know, f- uh, millions and millions of people in the army. You know, we're still talking about uh, uh, for, you know, large country like Russia, uh, re- uh, a relatively small number of people. So it's not a total mobilization by any means. Uh, and then within that, they still kind of so far, so far, there's lots of talk of Ukrainian offensive and so forth. But, you know, so far, Russia seems to have stabilized the line, you know, did some um, half-hearted offensives themselves uh, without any major breakthroughs. But in this condition, unless something really happened, I think, you know, the expectations on Ukraine and Western allies that there will be some kind of major breakthrough on Ukraine. But in this condition, uh, Russia can actually fight quite a long time still. Especially in the early stages of this war, sympathy for Russian war aims are found in different places in, in, in the West, in Ireland, it's normally found on the left or on the hard left. And many of those people would have thought and certainly would have said publicly that it was Ukraine's um, responsibility to sue for peace. They also maybe would have believed that Ukraine would have sued for peace, but that Ukraine is effectively controlled by the United States of America. Do you think that that view that Ukraine is somehow overly influenced by the West, that it is not actually, I suppose, operating of its own free will. Is that a view that ordinary people in Russia may believe? Yeah, I think that's that's sort of kind of co- common view in the sense that there is a so-called uh, Washington committee which kind of controls everything and so forth and so forth. But um, um, there is an aspect to it, though, uh, which, you know, which is there. So, I mean, you have Russia-Ukrainian relations, very complicated history and, um, um, you know, long history and then, of course, even more complicated um, in the, since 2014. Uh, but you also have, obviously, you know, Russian-Western uh, relations, which was also complicated, right, and which have been going. Uh, Ukraine been a big part of it, but that was not the only question there, right? So so Russia has been increasingly kind of um, frustrated about the how things went after the end of the Cold War, its place, uh, it's being marginalized and so forth, uh, increasing Western influence in this form of Soviet space, which it says it's... Um, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, area of its own kind of special um, uh, kind of key interest, national interest and so forth. Uh, Ukraine is the key point, but it's not the only one. And yeah, of course, expansion of NATO was an important point, even if uh, NATO insists that it's, you know, has nothing, it's not a threat to Russia. You know, it's, you know, that's if Russia sees it as a threat, then unjustifiably or justifiably doesn't matter. But as long as it regards as a threat, it will be a factor in its decision policy making, right? So, yeah, I mean, there, there, it is complicated by kind of much larger uh, aspect than just uh, Russia-Ukrainian relations, also Russian-Western relations. And you see kind of how consolidated the West have been in trying to, you know, push Russia back from Ukraine. Uh, there is certainly a very big moral argument uh, in terms of, you know, pretty clear that the bigger neighbor invaded the smaller one and, um, you know, uh, tries to annex its territory and so forth. You know, that's, you know, quite a strong feeling for to start supporting the, the weaker party. But I mean, obviously, this is a wider thing as well, uh, in the sense that it's, it is a threat to Europe, potentially Russia, but also it's a, um, you know, long established geopolitical rival to the United States. And, um, you know, all those calculations matter as well. So this kind of, in, in addition to moral support, you also have political, military, uh, security reasons to um, spend much more resources and commitment uh, to um, helping Ukraine against Russia than it would be just a kind of isolated case, you know, in, in other side of the world, right? So, uh, and, you know, that the Russians try to, the Russian leadership at least, tries to um, emphasize this element in the conflict, that it's not just a conflict with Ukraine, but also with the West, which it is, of course. Yeah. And, um, uh, but at the same time, completely, you know, take away Ukrainian, you know, own beliefs and interests. I mean, you know, that, 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 that's um, um, obviously is a, is a big mistake for the Russian leadership. And speaking of the Russian leadership, there's a Russian presidential election next year. Now, some Western commentators say that Russia is now a totalitarian state. Um, I think it's fair to say that Russia is certainly a more authoritarian state than we have in Western Europe. But with regards to that presidential election, how real will it be or how fake will it be? And what happens in a Russian presidential election? Well, so Russian presidential elections, perhaps uh, apart from 1996 election, when uh, extremely unpopular President Yeltsin was running for power, you know, with started with three percent and then managed to win the elections for by hook or crook. Uh, the re- other elections were pretty much um, kind of uh, largely uncontested uh, affairs. Uh, so since 2000, um, when Putin first ran for power. I mean, in that sense, there is no surprise, and there cannot be any surprises in the sense that somebody else wins suddenly election, right? Apart from Putin himself. I mean, sorry, there's also, of course, there was Medvedev in 2008 when they swapped places uh, for, 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 for four years. Um, uh, but that was, you know, also kind of pretty much determined and controlled. So, what's the point of that? It's not a change of government, uh, there's no uh, intrigue in it. Uh, well, it's still uh, the primary source of uh, political legitimacy for uh, both Putin and for the system more generally, uh, because since 1991, when the communist was um, got rid of, uh, uh, they don't have any kind of alternative uh, form of political uh, process or legitimacy, apart from ostensibly, you know, democratic one, to actually justify this, the way the system is running. Uh, so in that sense, it's kind of more or less becomes instead of election, I would say it's kind of a voting or plebiscite on Putin, right? So you you uh, you go and approve when he gets his uh, legitimacy from that plebiscite. And what matters is not so much 
what other candidates do, but you know what percentage he has, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, and uh, how widely su- supported it. Uh, although that's all kind of manipulated as well. But yeah, but but it still serves the function that there is kind of a core uh, belief. They are very careful. They're very extremely. Mm, they pay a lot of attention to uh, opinion polls. They pay a lot of attention to sociological studies. You know, so uh, they do react. It's not a totalitarian state. You know, it's uh, kind of uh, a caricature of uh, um, what you know. They, they they just don't don't care about anything. You know, it's it's much more. Um, kind of flexible system in that respect uh there is a lot of um thought when goes into and even in the soviet union it was already after certainly post-stalin era you know you still have you already had to kind of take account of you know people uh, general uh, preferences and so forth it was kind of some various mini deals and uh, social uh, contracts and so forth so-called in uh but in, in this contemporary russia it even more so because you know it's 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 a relatively um Wealthy society, it's relatively well organized, very well educated, and so forth. Uh, and um, in that sense, um, um, kind of presidential elections serve as this kind of focal point of injecting legitimacy into the system, however ma- manipulated they are. And uh, of course, that brings the question how it kind of generates the support and so forth. And um, um, one of them, of course, is Russia as a kind of under threat from the West, Russia as a kind of trying to stand on its feet again and so forth, uh, making Russia great again, becomes uh, a rallying point and justification for people to, uh, to vote for Putin in that sense. Dr. Alex Titov, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from Russian state television, the BBC, CNN, Sky and Euronews. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.